Hello, and welcome to the Salisbury Pediatric Associate Health and Wellness Newsletter Audiocast. I am your host, Dr. M, and this is Volume 12, Issue Number 41. This corresponds with the week of September 26, 2022. Also happens to correspond with Coronavirus Update Number 71, plus some other stuff, including food neutrality, a couple of research papers, and the recipe of the week. First, the free thoughts. The eye of hope is first to awaken and last to shut. This comes from the Rings of Power series that's on Amazon right now. Hope is that which keeps the soul moving towards any goal. I believe that. Without hope, life is very difficult. So keep hoping for whatever it is that which you really are aimed and aligned towards. So for the coronavirus update number 71, we still remain in a good place in North Carolina and most of the country for that matter. In our clinic, we have not seen any recent multi-inflammatory syndrome cases. It's been a long time, uh, maybe over 10 months now since we've had a case. So that is really good news. And most of the admitted uh, patient numbers and ICU numbers, um, according to the North Carolina data sets have not changed, which again is good. Um, death remains to be very unlikely if you've been vaccinated with a two-dose series and or survived natural infection. As it stands today, we've had 1,050,000 deaths in this country that have been tabulated by the statistics. So there is now Omicron of many strains. As of the September data, BA.4 was at 1%, BA.4.6, 12%, BA.2.75, 1%, and now BF.7 at 2%, and the big player BA.5 at 83%. BA.4.6, 2.7, and 7 are gaining some ground on BA.5, but BA.5 still is the biggest player in the game. BA. BF, excuse me, 0.7 is a little interesting because it may be more infectious than BA.5. That remains to be seen, but it's quite amazing to think that's even possible. BF.7 has a few mutations in the spike and nucleotide regions of the RNA genome of the virus, giving it potential for both more infectiousness and immune evasion. Time will tell. No higher level of morbidity has been noted with any of these strains. So the quick hits, number one. During the pandemic, sustainable, inclusive growth will require changing the workplace to maximize the contributions of all people. In the COVID-19 era, women across all sectors have shouldered more household responsibilities and more women report feeling the burnout. These problems can be more acute for women in healthcare who have fewer opportunities to work remotely and report feeling greater pressure to prioritize work over family. In spite of these challenges, healthcare continues to outperform other sectors in representation of women, who make up more than two-thirds of the entry-level employees and 53% of employees in roles of senior manager level or above, which is 18 percentage point higher than across all other sectors. This comes to us from McKinsey's COVID-19 briefing note number 100. To me, this is especially concerning during the post-pandemic era. Are we looking at this specific segment of society and checking on them? Or have we forgotten the countless hours of dedicated service to the millions of sick Americans? Nurses gave so much in the name of COVID to our friends, family, and loved ones. They will continue to give most definitely as the statistics bear out. 
Let us make sure that we are in gratitude for them and all of their non-female colleagues. The person matters and their dedication to their craft and us, nothing more. Number two, in a very thoughtful article in Nature, we see a deep analysis of lockdowns and pandemic mitigation measures under a spotlight. The end result of the analysis is a lot more of the same, more questions than answers. According to the report, we have limited direct evidence for or against them on a global scale. There is constant struggle of the data's validity by opposing camps. Lewis D. et al. 2022. My opinion after over two years of writing about the pandemic is that the limited value comes at a very, very high cost, especially to children. The justification to use lockdowns again will be a very, very high bar to cross. It would be extraordinary to use this tool again in the future of my lifetime. I don't think lockdowns have any value in the current environment that we live in. Number three, long COVID, PASC, post-acute SARS-CoV-2 syndrome, is associated with pre-illness diagnosis of a mental health issue. A cohort study found that depression, anxiety, perceived stress, loneliness, and worry about COVID-19 were associated with a roughly 1.5x increased risk of self-reported PASC symptoms, including increased daily life impairment, symptoms including fatigue, difficulty breathing, persistent cough, muscle, joint, chest pain, smell, taste problems, confusion, disorientation, brain fog, memory issues, depression, anxiety, changes in mood, headache, intermittent fever, heart palpitations, rash blisters and welts, mouth and tongue ulcers, or other symptoms that lasted for over four weeks. Wang et al. 2022. Since I believe that the state of the science is showing us that mental health disorders are inflammatory in nature, it is of little surprise that preceding mental health issues would portend a higher risk for PASC. I believe that stressed out individuals' immune system will hypofunction, leading to poor viral killing and surveillance and thus secondary COVID responses that are not immune solvent. Otherwise, they are actually immune overreacting to the persistence of the virus or persistence of viral particles. To me, the brain is very, very tied to the function of the immune system. As with all things related to the brain, make sure that you do the best you can to take care of your immune stress solvency. Get therapy if you need it. Work on meditation. Work on exercise. Work on uh, positive thinking. Work on journaling. Work on art therapy. Anything that will reduce your daily mental stress that leads to immune insolvency. Number four, from a recent article, we see a 10-point series of mitigation measures for a future pandemic based on rational thought. Quote, a more realistic public health approach is to adjust current mitigation goals to be more data-driven and to minimize unintended harm associated with unfocused or ineffective control measures. End quote. A. Accelerate vaccinations. B. Ease restrictions as fast as possible based on the science. C. Emphasize education and harm reduction. D. Encourage outdoor activity. E. Reopen schools. F. Avoid lockdowns. G. De-emphasize ineffective mitigation measures. H. Reassess testing. I. Expand treatment and prophylaxis. J. Prepare for future pandemics. Quote, vaccination and other mitigation efforts must focus on protecting the most vulnerable through prioritizing the elderly, healthcare workers, and essential workers. Additional criteria for determining which persons should be prioritized due to existing medical conditions must be evidence-based. End quote. Halperin et al. 2022. 
For me, the key points here remain strongly rooted. Schools have to be a priority to remain open in the future. No questions asked. Education should never be left in the lurch again like it was in this pandemic. The loss of education for the most marginalized children of our society will set us back and those children far too much each and every time we fall down this path. It was ineffective. It was poor response to a pandemic that ended up leading to major issues in education, which will lead to major issues in the future of society. Vaccinations were the best route to death and morbidity avoidance for those at-risk groups. Each time a pandemic occurs, these narratives could change. The next one could affect the youngest among us. We need to keep our eyes on the prize of health with effective and truthful messaging about the reality of vaccine benefit and who really needs them and at what time. This did not occur correctly in this pandemic. Lockdowns still leave a bad taste in my mouth overall. Is the current state of the employment, inflation, and general worker discontent a reflection of lockdown hangover? In part, maybe. We absolutely need to avoid continuing any ineffective mitigation measure as soon as the science shows it to be useless, i.e. washing groceries, masking to the bathroom or seat only to sit for hours unmasked in a restaurant, wearing a cloth mask, etc. We need to have a supply chain for PPE and all the pandemic preparedness needs in this country, full stop. If anything was glaring, that was a bright spotlight of a problem in our country. We can't have another event where the first couple months the healthcare workers don't have enough PPE and have a very, very high rate of morbidity. That's got to stop. And to that end, there's a lot of people on the front lines of this whole country's economic engine that are at risk. So all of them deserve quality PPE from the government at the outset of any future pandemic. So the government should be stockpiling this in the country and have a supply chain in the country. Some non-COVID discussions now. Five, dementia is associated with poor dental health, according to a new meta-analysis study in the Journal of American Geriatric Society. Poor periodontal health and tooth loss appear to increase the risk of both cognitive decline and dementia. This is association and not causation. However, the mechanisms underlying both disorder sets is inflammation driven by excessive consumption of foods known to drive inflammation. Sugar in a refined form will be fermented by oral bacteria leading to acid production damaging your teeth and the gums. These same foods also drive many pathways of inflammation, including uric acid-induced inflammasome activation, lipid-induced inflammatory cytokines, and excessive release of NF-kappa B and IL-6, all of which is tied to poor mental health in susceptible individuals. The take-home point is simple. Food drives disease based on volume, type, host genetics, and the length of time exposed to this food type. Six. Vaccination offers at best 15% reduction of long COVID post-infection according to a massive study in Nature Medicine. The study looked at 13 million cases of illness. The current rate of long COVID or PASC between 5% and 30% depending on other studies. A Veterans Affairs study noted 7% risk in 4.5 million people. Al Ali et al. 2022 and G et al. 2021. The issue remains a tricky affair to say the least. These data sets were pre-Omicron leaving 
questions of the current status of the Omicron variant moving forward unknown. As always, control what you can control. Make sure you're eating well. Make sure you're sleeping well. Exercising, toxin avoidance, and so much more to reduce your risk of inflammation anywhere in your system. Number seven. Neurological sequelae are becoming the second major problem for individuals post-COVID. Quote, our results show that the post-acute phase of COVID-19, there was increased risk of an array of incident neurologic sequelae, including ischemic and hemorrhagic stroke, cognitive and memory disorders, peripheral nervous system disorders, episodic disorders from examples of migraine and seizures, extrapyramidal and movement disorders, mental health disorders, musculoskeletal disorders, sensory disorders, Guillain-Barre syndrome, and encephalitis or encephalopathy. We estimated that the hazard ratio of any neurologic sequelae was 1.42, end quote, from Xu Zhu et al., 2022. This was a massive Veterans Administration data set study with a population that is primarily Caucasian and older with higher comorbid disease issues. That skews the data somewhat. However, what remains clear with each and every study is that COVID is affecting a large swath of the population with severe long COVID, um, giving long-term neurologic disorders after disease recovery. COVID is going to be a troublemaker for years to come in this category of post-disease consequences. So again, take care of what you can take care of so you do not fall prey to such realities. Section 2. Food is food, or is it? The new world of food neutrality. I received an email this week from a colleague of mine, and she was okay with me sharing it de-identified. So here it goes. Hello, Chris. I hope you and your family are doing well and have enjoyed your summer. I am in the process of revamping some of the integrative wellness nursing education sessions we provide for our patients. One of them is on nutrition, and while providing the lessons, I have been challenged by a dietitian here at Unnamed Institution about, quote, shaming, quote, people and proper terminology, what to talk about, what not to, etc. I was wondering if your wife would have any time to answer a couple of my questions and or look at PowerPoint that I have. I could even look into paying her for her time. Some of the topics are, Taking out addressing sugar in our sessions. Not calling any food bad. Quote, all food is food, end quote. Topic of go foods, healthy, slow foods, whoa, unhealthy foods. Understanding labels. Reading labels may cause or add to eating problems. My response to her. Between you and I, I am very disturbed by this trend of normalizing food quality across the board. Food shaming a person directly is not okay. Obese shaming is not okay. Shaming in general is not okay. However, to say broccoli is the same as a donut is tantamount to child abuse slowly by a thousand cuts and goes against our Hippocratic Oath of doing no harm as well as going against every ounce of science that exists. To not address excess sugar consumption as a risk factor for so many diseases is like avoiding discussing cigarettes due to shaming the smoker. This would amount to a resurgence of smoker-related death. It is all about the way in which the topic is discussed. We teach, we do not shame. Education is not shaming. Are we next not going to be allowed to teach about the excess screen time? Not exercising or drug use or healthy tips because a person could feel shame? The topics listed below are not science-based. 
They are social constructs to normalize a social belief that will hurt the person over time through disease and mental health. Nicole and I would not want to enter these waters as they are not science-based or coming from a place of love for the child. I love my patients so much that we have hard and loving conversations about what it is to be healthy in today's world. Chris. She writes back, This is exactly my concern as well. Although you are so much more well-spoken, written, than I. When the dietician saw what we are doing, she basically shamed me that I was part of the problem by dressing things as healthy foods, stating that this made someone feel inadequate or bad if they did not eat these foods. She wants to take out using health and unhealthy in terms, not addressing sugar contents in foods or label reading as it may, one, shame the person, two, cause a person prone to eating disorders to become bulimic or anorexic, etc. I will stand my ground, but wanted to make sure I am correct in what I am thinking. Be trauma-informed in my ways and always be evidence-based. The tendency is to address an issue with extremes, and I feel this one is one where we are so concerned with making someone feel uncomfortable that we actually are adding to the very thing that we need to address in the first place, whole person well-being. That's the end of the email string. For me, you know, what a mess for children at large. Food is not neutral. No more than diesel gas is the same as 97% octane gas, which is the same as kerosene, which is the same as motor oil. They all are different products for different situations. And, you know, these foods that can promote optimal physiology versus those that can worsen it, right? And so for me, shaming is never okay, full stop. It only develops a power gradient between two humans, which never ends in harmony. And we as humans should ask for harmony. This is not the same as teaching an understanding of the fundamentals of physiology and disease genesis. The exact thing with which neutrality aims to do will worsen the underlying physiologic mechanisms driving mood and health in general. I, for one, will not be a part of an anti-Hippocratic oath push in the name of being trauma-informed. Pediatricians are at the forefront of trauma understanding as much as we are at the forefront of disease genesis. The whole whole child deserves love from the mental side to the nutrition side to all sides. Neutrality in this context is a false premise that leads to disease. At least we see some positive coverage on the state of U.S. food. There was a recent NPR piece with Alison Aubrey, and she wrote the following. Treat food as medicine. Focus on the quality of calories. Expand access to dietary and lifestyle counseling. Support food entrepreneurs. Increase the number of new farmers growing healthy foods using regenerative farming techniques. Make school lunch free for all children. You know, that's simple, right? How does anybody have a problem with any of those? Food neutrality makes no sense to me. Frankly, I think it's poisonous to hear. The battle rages on. Do we teach or do we bury our heads as the above person would have it be? With her email and shaming of my friend. What a mess. Section three is the recipe of the week. Broccoli rob with bulgur and walnuts. Um, The dish is delicious. Uh, The broccoli rob, walnuts, Parmesan, cheese, shallots, extra virgin olive oil, and bulgur wheat all make a really nice fall dish. The link is in the Salisbury Pediatric Associates uh, newsletter at www.salisburypediatrics.com and you know 
check it out. There's a lot of stuff on the website for you if you are interested. You know, ultimately, you know, for those who like it in the audio cast form, it's always here for you. But there is the written form as well. The song of the week is Thank You by Chris Cornell. The link is also in the uh, newsletter. And if you like this audio cast or the podcast with the different guests, um, please rate this on Apple iTunes um, on the website for the podcasts, you know, because that's how I get a fundamental understanding of what people like or don't like. You know, if you don't like it, rate it badly. You know, I mean, honestly, I just like the feedback. So if you do have a chance, go hop on there, give it a rating. If not, as always, I appreciate you listening. If you got to this point, you've listened the whole way. So thank you, thank you, thank you. Um, We are in this living, learning experience together. I love sharing my energy with you. And to the end, as always, Spend your efforts hugging the kids. Have a great day. The information provided in this newsletter audio cast is for educational informational purposes only. It is not a substitute for advice and treatment provided by your physician or other healthcare professional. It's not to be used to diagnose or treat a health issue. This newsletter audio cast does not constitute the... the development of a provider or patient relationship.